Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we are lucky to have on the show Janice Shade. Janice is the co-founder of a company called Milk Money uh, out of Vermont, and they're doing some really cool things with regard to crowdfunding. Janice, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. For sure. So tell, just tell us generally, what, what, am I, what are we talking about? What is Milk Money and what do you do? Milk Money, the, the technical name of it is it's, it's an equity crowdfunding platform. Um, the way we like to describe it, it's where Vermonters can meet up with Vermont businesses who are trying to raise money to perhaps um, enter into an investment relationship and uh, trying to help, help entrepreneurs take advantage of some, some recently changed regulations in Vermont that allow them to raise money from all Vermonters, not just uh, accredited investors. Okay, so um, in Vermont, uh, like how does it work? Can, can a company that wants to crowdfund, can they just start crowdfunding or do they have to file a form with the state securities agency first or do they have to get approved first? How does it work? Yeah, there's quite a process that goes with it. And and even before that, um, they need to raise capital through a third-party non-broker dealer um, uh, portal, crowdfunding portal, which is us. So we had to register as a, a non, you know, a third-party portal with the state first and foremost. Then, uh, if somebody wants to raise capital with through Milk Money, they have to prepare um, a whole list of offering documents. Um, they have to have their business plan put together. Um, the offering documents that describe the type of securities that they'll be offering for investment, put that all together and then file it into the Department of Financial Regulation along with a small fee. And the, the DFR, that's the acronym for Department of Financial Regulation, they, um, they have 15 business days to review all of that, get back to us with comments. You know, some, we, we've already gone through this a couple times with, with some campaigns that are going up. And, and the DFR will come back and say, you know, that this language is a little too legal-ish. You know, can you put it more in plain English? So they, they give some comments back and forth a little bit. But then once they say, yep, it's approved, it goes up on our website, and they can start driving people to uh, our site and checking out the campaign. Okay, well that's that's super fun. Now on the website, can like can uh, can can I access the the companies as well, or do you have to be within like the the state of Vermont? Uh, you know, somehow aver that you're a Vermonter to look at the companies. Yeah, it's a little of both. There, we have um, you know, what we call you know, uh, Louise and my partner and I. We we call it the public page and the private page. So the the public page, you could go on to our website right now and click on um, the link to our the, our first campaign that's up, and you could see you know a, a short video about them and a little bit kind of basic information about their company. Mm-hmm. If you want to see more, if you want to get the details like the full business plan and the details of the deal, that's where you have to register as a Vermonter. And um, in order to prove that, you, you, you do it all on our website. You have to upload a photo of your driver's license that proves your residency in Vermont. And once you've done that, then you have access to the private campaign page where all of the, the details are. Okay. 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 Well, that's, I mean, that sounds like not a bad process. I mean, in all honesty, like you wouldn't want to pro- probably provide all that detailed information to the people who are just browsing the website anyway. You'd want them to have to go through some steps uh, right. I mean, even if the law didn't require me, you require that you'd want that. So exactly, because and, and we have gotten that question from some entrepreneurs who say, "Wait a minute, I have to put my I can I, I put my business plan up on your up on your website." And we've had a couple entrepreneurs who've decided not to use milk money because they are just too concerned that their business plan is way too proprietary. They they don't even want mm-hmm. Vermonters in general looking at it. But for the most part, 
um, you know, people are pretty comfortable with, you know, sharing that amongst people who are going to end up being potential investors. Um, we also provide opportunities for uh, potential investors and entrepreneurs to meet in person. So we've been doing a ton of uh, events around the state, and luckily Vermont is small, which makes it kind of easy, but it's still, it's been a lot of driving over the last six months. We've done two events uh, every month since January, um, where people can just come and learn about how to invest local in general and how milk money works, and then meet entrepreneurs who are planning to raise capital so they, they can have that face-to-face -face interaction too. Yeah, that sounds great. And has Title Three crowdfunding, like have you seen local companies in, in Vermont using that yet? Um, there are a couple. There's actually, uh, there's another web portal based right here in Burlington, Vermont, um, that is focusing on Title Three type campaigns. And, and really, um, ones that they're much bigger campaigns, you know, and bigger in terms of the amount of money they're trying to raise. So, you know, folks who are raising... You know, they say that the minimum that they work with is half a million, but they're really doing more like multi-million dollar deals. So um, I think there might be some Vermont companies who are trying to use that and go out to the broader national audience. What we're focusing on is really the companies who are, um, you know, they're, they're smaller companies. They're kind of, they're, they, they, everything that they do is kind of rooted in Vermont. So it's a lot of food, a lot of food startups we right. do have some technology uh, startups, but ones who, you know, kind of have that local feel and want to have that local connection with their investors. So that's our milk money's focus is really on the invest local movement. So yeah. we're not we're not using Title Three. We're working under our Vermont small business offering exemption. Yeah, no, it's it's like uh, really exciting. There's a I don't know if the audience. Uh, appreciates it maybe as much as maybe you do Janice or I was I mean, at the Comcap conference I was really impressed by just the I mean this whole invest local movement is pretty significant I, th I think it's huge and um, I think it's um, I mean again Vermont is is pretty much into the like do everything local already like we've been doing the local war lo eating local buying local um, so it's, it's something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts already. And, but it's not just in Vermont. It was really great to see at Comcap that the, that there is that, you know, people really understand the importance of having that, um, actually a, a phrase that I learned there, um, from Arno Hess was, uh, the line of sight into where you're putting your money to be able to look into the eyes of the entrepreneur that you're investing in and talk with them and say, yes, you're somebody that I believe in. And I want to give you my money to to help you achieve your dreams. What was what was Concap? Is that a conference for crowdfunding? It is. It was the, the I think it was the first national one. It's uh, the Community Capital Conference in Portland, Oregon, in April. They I think they did it last year, but it was just Oregonians. So this mm -hmm. year they opened it up to um, to people from all over the the country and. That's how we found out about it through one of the founders of um, Hatch Oregon, uh, which is a similar organization to what Milk Money is. They're doing similar type work um, in Oregon, and she invited us to come out. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah, it was pretty fascinating. Like, because there was, um, I mean, there's, I don't, of the fifty states, there was probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen represented, uh, and a lot of the securities regulators from those states. And uh, I remember that securities regulator from Kansas was, was a really interesting guy. He talked about how they had 
built this law to just make it easy for people in Kansas to invest in Kansas businesses. And they were really proud of it. They had a, uh, they even like created like a media campaign for it. And the, the media campaign uh, used like, um, used Ike, Ike, Ike Eisenhower or something like, right, invest, right. invest like Ike or something. It was really crazy. It was like really, there was, so there was enthusiastic people, not only from, um, so f- from the sort of company side or, or platform, you know, uh, crowdfunding platform side, but also regulators, which was pretty interesting. That I think a good a good place to compare notes. So like the regulators have to figure out how to make all this stuff work, and it seems like I mean I, they must have their own conferences where they kind of get together and talk about regulatory stuff. But um, but yeah, I would imagine like hearing what's working in other states is a big deal if you're trying to figure it out yourself. Absolutely, I think that was the um, that was one of the best. Uh, things to come out of that conference, and there was there was one panel that we were on that we we figured it should have just been a roundtable, and instead of all of us been sitting in the straight line up across the dais, that we should have just been able to talk to each other because that's that was the most rich conversation of you know what what can you do in your state? What have you run up against? How to how did you deal with this kind of issue? And having that mixed group of regulators and you know kind of people boots on the ground like like we are trying to to implement it being able to talk back and forth was really helpful um and something i was gonna say it's oh go ahead go ahead uh it's something that we actually really appreciate with um with our regulators in vermont that we have you know I, i literally have a direct line into um our director of capital markets in Montpelier and I have his cell phone number and I can call him up and say, Christopher, I have this issue. Can you help me with it? And he's, he's been really helpful. And they're, they're really interested to see what we're coming up against as we're trying to implement the regulations that they, you know, kind of put together, you know, kind of the ivory tower thing. And we're putting it into practice and finding out, you know, well, you know, we might need some tweaks here and there. And they've been really responsive. It's been great. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, um, uh, that the interaction between sort of the private sector and the reg- securities regulators can be kind of, um, I don't know. I think some states have experienced some um, a different a different type of reception than that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but in any event, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's quite the movement. Um, so you guys, when did you launch again? How long ago was it you formally launched? Well, we we put our our website into beta testing last July. Um, but really we consider our formal launch was just in February. Um, cause it, it, kind of the, the great thing when we put the, the site into, um, beta, uh, right at almost exactly the same time we were introduced to the CEO of, um, the second largest statewide credit union in Vermont, um, who wanted to learn about what we were doing. And in the course of, you know, a, meeting having coffee he says you know that sounds really cool i think my uh, credit union might want to invest in milk money do you guys need some capital and we said um yeah that would be great so we we kind of went into the due diligence process with them over the last half of of 2015 of working to bring them into um, our organization as an investor and which has been just such a great partnership having this large um, statewide credit union um, backing us not just because they gave us some money which is really nice um, but really the validation of, of such a large and well-respected and and you know it's been around for 60 years I think you know this credit union that's been around forever to having that validation that and support um, that that they bring along with it so uh, it kind of delayed our our official launch while we were getting all that put together. So we 
we consider our official launch February when we announced the relationship to the world with um, the Vermont State Employees Credit Union. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. Credit unions are a lot of times really focused, like they're really local, locally focused. So it sort of ties kind of pretty pretty nicely with what uh, with probably their outlook, your your attack on the market as well. So yeah, so true. Like we we really in in all of the diligence process and meeting with the whole management team and all their their folks over there, just realizing how well aligned our missions are around you know community investment and that thing so it just really did feel like a a great partnership and it's been it's been um it's been great so far yeah well so one thing i mean for people in the audience who are thinking about starting like a crowdfunding platform i mean one of the big issues with those is just how do you make money, right? Yep. <laughs> and so I'm sure that I mean, if, if, I'm sure that people in the audience would love to hear about how you're tackling that that issue. Yeah, and it, you know, th- one of the things uh, that we learned at Comcap was that you know there are small differences in the regulations from state to state. You know, they vary, and in Vermont, in particular, that we we are not allowed to. Um, take a percentage of what the, the the campaigning company raises. So we cannot take what's called, you know, it's called a success fee. Like, you know, like how Kickstarter would take, right. you know, X percent of however much you raise. We're, we're actually not allowed to do that. Yeah. So we, um, we make money by, we charge the entrepreneur an upfront fee of, um, you know, a couple thousand dollars that, that covers uh, the filing fee and using the website and all the, the work that we do to get them ready to go. Um, we've, we've already raised our price since we started okay. with our first campaign. So we kind of grandfathered our initial clients in under the old price, but we already realized like, okay, we're putting in way more work. Um, we need to get paid a little bit more. And so far, nobody's balked at the, up in the price yet. Um, and so it's an upfront fee. It's an upfront fee paid up front. Yes. Yes. And then and on, no, there's no component of that no, no one can say, Hey, can I pay like half now and half on closing? You couldn't do that because that would be a quote unquote success fee or something. Right. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. So it needs to be, you know, pretty clear, you know, so it's all invoiced as soon as, you know, we file their paperwork, right. invoice goes out, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. Is that, um, is that because they're trying to make sure you don't have an interest in, um, I don't know, misleading people or, or have a, like the, that you're kind of impartial in terms of how you list things. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think what the benefit would be because it seems like for the entrepreneur who's trying to list it, you know, having, having to only pay if they successfully raise might be considered a good thing um, because it allows them to try things out and maybe makes crowdfunding available to people that don't have the, the thousand or 2000 bucks or to get started. Is What's the, what's the rationale behind, yeah, behind I, that? I think, you know, part of it is, um, that the just from a practical standpoint, I think the the structure it, it makes it look too much like a commission, mm-hmm. which then starts to feel like it should be coming from uh, someone who it, it is able to earn a commission and therefore needs to be regulated. So, if we uh, right, wanted, but you guys are but you guys are already regulated, right? Didn't you say you had to get registered as a as something or other with the Vermont authorities with the Vermont authorities, but right. we don't want to be regulated by the SEC. Yeah, so I'm like, Mike, this is really fascinating because there is this concept, and the SEC acknowledges it exists, and you can find it on the SEC the website. This concept is uh, of the intrastate mm-hmm. uh, exemption for broker dealers. So theoretically, if you're only 
brokering deals in Vermont to Vermonters, like wh why would there be federal securities jurisdiction at all? And so there's some acknowledgement that like there's this interstate exemption, but it's so it's like basically there's basic hostility to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's that, that's like a fundamental yeah. thing in the law about uh you know whether states can uh can regulate themselves and the, the I think the federal government sort of has to allow states to. I don't know that they have any jurisdiction to regulate things that are solely within the state. So they have, like, have to give lip service to the fact that, that if you do this, you'll be fine. But I feel like, you know, historically, the federal government takes every every possible like argument they could make for why something might touch federal uh, regulations right. instead right. of, you know, so, so they, they can't just say they can't come out and say, yeah, if you do it within the state, we're still going to come get you because technically that's not allowed. But then they'll be like, oh, well, if you want to send money anywhere or if you want to if you want to mail things to people. Uh, now, now you're, you know, you're using the federal, the, you know, you're using the postal service or you're using a bank and the banks are wiring money. I mean, you really would have to do it all in cash and it's, it's really hard to actually stay local. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So, 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 okay. So in any event, what you're saying then Janice is you would have to go get an SEC broker dealer registration license. That'd be really expensive. And yep. it wouldn't, your econ economics of your business wouldn't justify the expense. Exactly. And, Exactly. Yeah. That's why, you know, the, the other um, platform that I mentioned that's here in Burlington, that's exactly why they uh, have kind of said, like, we're only doing deals of, you know, half a million or above because they've gone to the to the length of registering as a broker dealer. So it does not make financial sense for them to take on these smaller campaigns like we're, you know, the, the campaigns we're running are anywhere from like 50,000 up to 250,000. We do have one that's going to try and raise half a million. But, you know, our sweet spot is kind of like 50 to $250,000 campaigns. One of the things we've talked about uh, on previous episodes where we talked about crowdfunding was this concept of, of like um, patronize, patronage crowdfunding where you, you maybe help crowdfund a restaurant or, or a, you know, a grower or, you know, somebody in your, in your community. And then in addition to getting your equity, you get some kind of a, um, you know, some kind of a spiff, like a, you know, discount on your meals or free meals or, you know, free produce or, you know, some, something where you're kind of like, you're investing, but a big some of the benefit of the investment is coming in terms of some kind of special, uh, special benefit from the business. Um, have you have you seen anything like that? I mean, it seems like it, it lends itself uh, to local local businesses would be have an easier time doing that kind of thing. And since everything you're doing is within Vermont, it seems like maybe you'd see some of that. Is that is that happening? I would say it, it, it hasn't happened yet, and mostly because um, one of the things that. I, I, we've had the kind of the same thoughts and like, Oh, that's, this would be really cool. Like maybe you, you know, you invest a hundred dollars and you get repaid in eggs or something like that. You know, that's your interest, <laughs> sure, right? Sure, sure. Or maybe um, you just get, maybe you just get like a dozen, you know, eggs a month or something. Exactly. Um, but the tricky part about that is, is that those eggs are considered a taxable event. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it becomes yeah. Mike. It, it you're going to report the eggs on your on your no. tax return. <laughs> no, seriously, exactly. seriously. The problem, Mike. The problem, Mike, is say you raised a million dollars to fund a restaurant, and um, and you promised the people who invested the million dollars that they were going to get like a free meal a month or something like this. Mm -hmm. You would literally have to calculate what that is going to. What is that? What is that going to cost you? What are you going to have to like put in your financial statements to reserve for that? And then that, yeah. And then business. that amount, that amount, you have to pay federal income tax on in the year in which you receive the money, even though you might not be providing the meals until like next year. Yeah. Right. So what if what if you broke it out into like two things where you said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna raise money, uh, we we want to take it in hundred dollar increments or thousand dollar increments. Five hundred of it is going to an equity investment. The other five hundred is buying you a stake in, you know. 
whatever this thing is. You're buying a membership to a thing that gets you eggs. Um, and then it's more like a, a purchase, right? I guess you'd still have to account for, for the sale because that half that money is going toward like sale of a product. Maybe you'd have to pay taxes on that. Yeah, yeah. Way, the, but... the closest way, the closest way we're finding to um, to work on something like this, and we we do have some clients who are considering something along these lines, is to make it one or the other. It's mm. either an equity investment or it's a pre-purchase of goods and goods and or services. If it's a pre-purchase of goods or services, that's where you know you you invest a hundred dollars and maybe um, your payback is a hundred and twenty dollars worth of meals over the course of time, and it, and it can take. It, you can spread those out as long as you want because when you're doing a pre-purchase like that, all of a sudden that's not a security anymore. We're not even regulated by the Department of Financial Regulation on something like that anymore because it's not security. Right, we can right. th- those can things are yeah, anyone yeah. can do that, and we could just you know we just use the platform to just facilitate the transaction, and and so we'd we'd actually love to try some of those. Um, you know, we'd probably be able to charge a, a lower fee because we don't have to go through all of the back and forth with the DFR and all that. So we do have some some companies who are are considering that. Gotcha. Yeah, I just thought I think uh, Mike's point to uh, or question or thought is a is a is a good one. I mean, especially Mike the. Uh, the concept of like a, a buying both the equity in like you know eight hundred dollars for the equity and two hundred dollars to to become a member of some kind of co-op or something you know what I mean who, who knows there's probably something you can structure there that wouldn't be terrible from a tax point of view but um and I yeah, think maybe, Janice, it's maybe just overcome maybe it's already such a new thing <laughs> people are still trying to figure it out like to add another layer of complexity maybe it's yeah. too soon too soon uh, yeah yeah and, and yeah we are um actually our first campaign that's up right now is a co-op. Um, and so they are offering, they're actually offering, um, I wonder if I can say this because you're not in Vermont. I can say, I think I can talk a little bit about it. Um, they're offering non-voting preferred equity shares. And so the way that, um, people get paid back is basically through a dividend over time. Um, but they've talked about, you know, could there be different kinds of membership shares where, um, people buy into, the, the co-op for their services, not just for the financial return of the dividend. So we're, we're exploring a lot of that. We've, we've got a lot of co-ops in Vermont and a really strong um, advocacy organization in the Vermont Employee Ownership uh, Center that's here in Burlington that, that does a lot with co-ops. So we're, we're going we're gonna to be exploring all that. So maybe that's a future podcast. Yeah. That, what, what, one of the things you said made me think about these lo- local small investments in, in um, you know, maybe non-tech tech type businesses and how these investors... Uh, eventually plan to see return on their on their investment. I don't know if they if that's you mentioned the one that has the dividend baked in. I don't know if that's typical, but but yeah, how do these um, like let's say you're investing in a restaurant? Um, how are these companies making the investors comfortable that they're going to ever see a return? Because you know restaurants don't typically um, get acquired and and have an exit. Um, is it yeah. all dividend based or? Yeah, well, yeah. I think oh, oh, go ahead, Jess. Oh, uh, but it's um, either dividend based or another thing that we are um, starting to work on with a couple clients is a royalty ar- agreement where um, the repayment comes in the form of um, a percentage of, of revenue mm-hmm. and it's and it's triggered when you know when revenue hits a certain point so it's it's unlike a loan where you have to pay something every month and you know it's, you make the payment whether you made money that month or not a royalty payment uh, gives a little bit more flexibility to the business owner 
to make the payment, you know, when they have a profitable month and then they pay a percentage of, of the revenues out, uh, uh, over time. Yeah. And so that's, that's one that we're exploring with, with several of them. And there's, there's, um, some good examples of how royalty agreements can work, uh, through another, there's a, an organization in Vermont called the Vermont Flexible Capital Fund that it's, it's very, it, it does only royalty financing. It's very, very focused on just a few specific industries uh, like sustainable forestry and um, sustainable agriculture and that kind of thing. So we're working really closely with them to learn from what has worked in this whole royalty structure to um, make sure that we're setting things up in a way that will work. So that it's, it's great that we have that precedent and a good um, working relationship with the folks who who are running that to learn from them. Yeah, for sure. And, and by the way, I know that other there are other Title III crowdfunding platforms that have published and made available uh, uh, revenue-based loan agreements. And, uh, and Mike and I have talked about revenue loans before on the show because I do a lot of work in that area. I've done uh, a, 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 you know, gobs and gobs of revenue loans on the, on the lender side. But in any event, um, yeah, that's a, that could be a really good model for crowdfunding. Um, and that could be the, the right way to get people their money back because uh, dividends typically are just kind of like a, I don't know, they're more complex from a tax point of view and uh, they're not certain either. I mean, if a corporation doesn't have, uh, isn't solvent, it doesn't matter if you have, you know, a dividend right or not, it can't pay the dividend because <laughs> right. the tra- directors be personally liable. So the, so the royalty-based, you know, financing options, I think, are interesting to think about. I think, I think so too. And they, they work really well for, for businesses that, um, you know, that will end up having a, a nice steady um, revenue stream over time. And like you said, are not necessarily ones to be acquired at, and, and have that as their exit strategy at some point. And there are a lot of those around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about how you got into this. I mean, so we've talked about the business itself, but one of the things that we always like to talk, you know, find super interesting is, you know, entrepreneurs themselves, how they make the decisions to start the companies that they start, uh, you know, how they got to where they are. So tell us, tell us how you got to, you know, what, what, what brought this about? It, it really um, goes back to uh, my own experience starting my own company. I, I launched the company back in 2008 and started my first capital campaign in October of 2008, which was just a really crappy time to try to raise capital because, you know, the economy was tanking and angel investors were running for the hills and, you know, circling the wagons. So I learned a lot through that, that experience of, of how to, you know, about how to raise capital. And, you know, before, before I even started my first, um, you know, that, that campaign in October of that year, when I was still working on my business plan and stuff, I had this idea that, um, so my business was, um, it was a natural soap company. You know, my, my background is all in uh, consumer packaged goods. I worked for Procter & Gamble and Welch's, and, and the latest one was, was Seventh Generation. And I used to have these conversations with the, the founder of, of Seventh Gen, who was, who was my boss at the time. And I used to just, like, I knew I was, like, needling him a lot and saying, you know, here's Seventh Generation. This company has this mission to help people live healthier lifestyles. But the, the products are kind of expensive. And so our, you know, why don't we work instead of you know, coming up with the next greatest you know, cleaning product, why don't we work to make the current ones more affordable? And that way we'll achieve the mission by helping more people live healthy lifestyles because they're affordable. And I kind of got there like, yeah, that's a really good idea, but we just don't know how to crack that nut right now. So we're going to go do other things. So when I, I left 7 Gen after my second daughter was born and I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with my life? I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. 
so I launched the, a company called True Body to make affordable natural soap. And so, uh, you know, I had this idea, like, to raise money for it, and, and I called it my million moms idea. It's like, you know, so there's a million moms across the country who would probably love to have, you know, a nice, affordable, all-natural soap, you know, priced more in line with Dove and Dial and Ivory, not like Toms of Maine and Semigen and really expensive things. And what if they, what if they each invested a dollar in me? So here are all these moms investing in another mom entrepreneur, and I'd have the million dollars I needed to launch, and you know. It, it'd be this great thing. And so I went and talked with my financial advisor and my attorney about it. And, you know, they're like, yeah, no, you can't do that. It's illegal. Because um, this is way before Title III. It was, it was way before Kickstarter even existed. Um, so I, they said, just go raise money from angels and venture capital. That's, that's the way you do it. So I said, okay. I, so I set down on, on that path of trying to raise money from angels and and I did I, I ended up raising close to a million dollars from um, angels and venture funds um, but it took it took almost all, four years to raise that money like th that's all I did was raise money I never really got to focus on growing my business although it luckily it grew itself because it was it was good soap and everybody misses it they tell me that now mm. um, but um, you know I, I I still had this idea of you know, there's got to be a way to let the everyday person, pe people who told me they love my stuff, they love my company, they love what I stood for. Can I, you know, can I support you? Can I invest in you? And I'd always have to ask, are you an accredited investor? And if they said no, then I'd have to say, no, you can't. So I, I actually tried doing uh, like this pre-purchase of product that we were talking about before. I actually tried, I called it community supported enterprise. And I said, you know, if you know, send me the money now, you're pre-buying your soap gives me the money to, you know, build my inventory and then, you know, I'll send it to you after, um, to, you know, trying to use that as a way to raise money. And it was, it's kind of good in theory, but um, in practice, you know, because the soap was so cheap, you know, I needed a lot of money and people didn't necessarily need um, a whole garage full of soap, which is pretty much what they would have had to buy to get the kind of upfront capital I need. So it just didn't really work out in practice. But you know, so that the seed of that idea was just kind of always in my mind, um, and so when you know, actually, that's how I met my my co-founder Louisa Shibley. She read about the about what I was doing with this community supported enterprise through um, in, an article in the Burlington Free Press, and she just she was a blogger, and she called me up and said, "I love what you're doing. Can I write a blog about you?" And we ended up talking for hours, and then we met for coffee and talked for more hours, and said we're going to go into business together someday. And four years after the fact, when we learned about the Vermont Small Business Offering Exemption, we said, hey, this is that thing we've been talking about for so long. They made it possible. You know, the DFR made it possible. We can put the website together and everything to actually make it happen. And so that's, that's really where the idea came from, is just, you know, my own... Um, pains and trials and tribulations of raising capital from rich folks and wanting to just figure out a way if there's, you know, can we democratize capital to uh, make it possible to raise capital from everybody, not just going out to the, the angels. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great founding story. Um, 
And uh, and I think it's a great uh, theme. I mean, I would hope that we can democratize capital raising, but it's it's hard because the the laws are just completely um, you know written in the opposite direction, and so it's really difficult to to make a lot of headway. Um, and it seems like whenever we get something good, there's some you know there's some horrible you know uh, bunch of you know ancillary you know obligations to get tacked onto it to make it less attractive. No. So. So true, and we're we're actually finding that out right now. As as we're you know now that we have our first campaign up, and we have a couple more getting ready to go up, the you know all of the the handcuffs that are put on you basically about how to get, advertise for it or to spread the word about it. Right. You know we have uh, you know we have to every single thing that we're going to post on social media or on our website or even in just in traditional media, all has to be approved by the DFR before you can put it out there, and it's they're. They're pretty pretty good about what you can say, but it's still, you know, you feel kind of hamstrung. So it, it it's like you made this great thing, um, but then you don't let us talk about it. So right, right. It doesn't make any sense. I yeah. I, I can't I can't for the life of me figure that out. And if one of the um, I, mean, I think one of the underlying uh, ideas, sort of animating crowdfunding, is that you'll have this sort of uh, wisdom of the crowd thing emerge. And, and that will make it harder, sort of like the internet, it will make it harder for people to defraud people because a bunch of people will be watching. But if you can't, if, if you limit the, the communications people can have, um, it kind of, it sort of blots that out as a possibility of occurring, right? And so it's just sort of really, I don't think it's the right approach myself, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe we'll get more enlightened public policy uh, in the future. I don't know. I hope so. I, I, it's our hope that we're going to demonstrate that there is, you know, that there's a very real need and want for what we're trying to do. So this isn't just some flash in the pan kind of a thing, but this is, this is a real thing. And so, um, you know, as we progress, things will loosen up some or, or just become more realistic. Yeah. Well, shoot, I, uh, Janice, I, this has been really wonderful having you on the show. I've uh, really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, I want to I get updates from time to time on how you're doing. I'd lo- I obviously wish you a great success. And I think, uh, um, you know, you probably learned a lot of things that would be helpful to a lot of people um, who are thinking about doing something similar. So you might, uh, maybe you'll get some pings from this, from this podcast from people who are, who are thinking about taking this, uh, taking this kind of step. Oh yeah, please. Um, yeah, because we're kind of all in this together and, and learning from each other. So I'm happy to share what we've learned and um, and and learn about what's going on in other places too. Because uh, we're we're all forging new territory right now, which is exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah. So if you want to find Milk Money on the internet, it's it's MilkMoneyVT.com. Uh, MilkMoneyVT.com. Janice, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really nice. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Janice. And thanks for everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all next week.